Welcome to Grace. I'm so happy that you guys are here. I'm happy to be here. It's wonderful to worship with you. Uh, it's just an exciting time. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Yes, all you mothers out there and mothers that might be listening online later. We'll mention no names, of course. Um, it's great. It's been a great series. I've been excited to go through the Psalms of Ascent with you guys. Uh, it's been um, it's been thought-provoking for me, and, you know, I've learned so much. Um, I've taught through psalms before, and, and there are psalms that I'm more familiar with than other psalms, and, and you just kind of get this sense whenever you put a series like this together, like, okay, Psalm 121, I know that one pretty well, I've taught it before, but Psalm 131, that's a little different, and you just kind of evaluate them differently. But I got to tell you, the psalms keep teaching me things, and even this week when I'm looking at the psalm that we're going to look at today, I just, I had this idea in my head of like, okay, this is probably what it's going to be like, and then I get into studying it, and I go, whoa, it's totally different than what I thought, and, and I think that's evidence that the Spirit is moving us, and my hope and my prayer is that um, as we go through these series and, and go through psalms like this, that you guys would be reading them at home, that you'd be thinking about them, and, and I would encourage you, don't think you've got it figured out. Because I've made that mistake before. Okay, I know what this one means. I, I'm pretty sure. And then I start studying it, and it's something the Spirit does totally different. Um, and also, another thing I've learned is don't underestimate the small ones. This week's psalm is three verses. And, and I really believe that if we open our hearts and let the Spirit move us, um, I think it'll change us. And, and, I, and I really mean that. So, so thanks for being here. Let me open us in prayer, and we, we can dig in here. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to, to, to be here in this, this building, in this wonderful place with these people to worship you, Lord. Uh, thank you for music. Thank you that we get to express ourselves uh, through music and through study and through conversation and community with each other, Lord. I ask that this morning um, that um, you would be honored, that you would move in us. And Lord, as always, get me out of the way uh, long enough for you to speak to these people um, and, and, Lord, I ask that you would continue speaking to them even long after this service is over. Lord Jesus, we love you. Um, we give you this morning. In your name, amen. <clears throat> you know, this morning we, th we get to talk about contentment. Now, I know, I know. Whenever I hear the word contentment, I, my eyes kind of roll and I go, oh, okay, you're going to tell me that I should be thankful for what I have and, and not pine away for things I don't have. If, if we're going to talk about contentment, I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you. Um, and it, the questions actually aren't about contentment. They're, out about, they're about work. And we spent um, most of yesterday, rain or shine, working on the building. And I got to tell you, I saw a lot of people here working really hard. I wasn't working that hard. I was just driving a tractor around, having way too much fun. And everybody else is sweating and working and digging and planning and all this crazy stuff. But the question that I want to ask this morning is, why do we work so hard? Why do we work so hard? Why do we push ourselves so hard? And you know the interesting thing for me is that I always think it's going to get easier. I always think that I'm going to slow down, that I'm going to take a break after, after this next season. You know, like the elders and I always talk about this. Well, you know, I'm sprinting right now, and, and, and soon I'm going to slow down to, to that, that good, comfortable pace. But I've never felt that comfortable pace before. So I'm wondering what that comfortable pace, pace looks like and feels like. Why do we work so hard? Why does it seem to get harder? Why do we work harder and harder and harder? And why is it so hard to slow down? My family and I took a vacation a few months back, 
And I got to tell you, I got on the plane to fly down to Florida. We were going to Disney World. Me and my wife ran a half marathon. It was wonderful. I'm so excited. And I'd worked really hard up until the point that, you know, I sit down in the, in the seat of the plane. And I'm like, okay, here we go, vacation. And I was uncomfortable for three days. It took me to slow down. And then I, like, enjoyed myself for a day. And then I had to spend the next couple days ramping up to come back to work. Why is that? Why is it so hard? You know, I don't think it's the job's fault. I love my job. You should know this. This job gets me up early in the morning. It's wonderful. It's not my boss's fault. <laughs> See, you could translate boss's elders. You could translate boss's Jesus. It's up to you, whatever way you look at it. It's not his fault or their fault. It's not my wonderful spouse's fault. It's not her expectations. It's not my family's fault. Why do I work so hard? Maybe a better question is, is who do we work so hard for? Who are we working for? You working for your boss? You working for you? Or you working for your family? Maybe, maybe the idea is that you're, you're here to prove to your old man that you've got what it takes. Does that sound familiar? If my, my dad's going to listen to this later, and he's going to go, no, no, I've never, I've never thought that about you. But, but it's true. There is this sense in me that I've got to prove myself, right? I'm sure we all have that. It's a tough question. Because the problem with it is, is we can convince ourselves we're working hard for all kinds of reasons. And you're the only one who really knows why you push so hard. So as we take a look at this psalm, I think we're going to find a lot about, find out a lot about contentment and maybe why we work so hard. So um, let's take a look at Psalm 131. And I'm going to read it to you. I'll have it on, in the NIV up uh, on the screen behind me. But this is a song of ascent, like we've talked about. This is as the, the nation of Israel is going into Jerusalem, going up to Jerusalem, going up to the temple through the, the steps. And you can, you can imagine the priests and the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and everybody's going up and they're singing these songs. Okay, that's kind of the context. They're singing these songs. This is what David says, because he um, wrote it. Most believe he wrote it. Um, it says this, My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O oh Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Three little verses. And David's scratching the surface of something deep inside him. And I think if we listen, we probably all are going, oh, I want that. I want the contentment that he's talking about. How do I get that content? We'll just take it verse by verse. Verse 1, David talks about pridefulness, haughty eyes. And, and there's this weird line, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. And if you can imagine, arguably the best and most famous king of Israel writes these words, my heart is not proud. How does a man like David, who is known to be a man after God's own heart, not be proud? Do you know how many battles this guy has been in? Do you know how many wars he's been in? How many times he's been victorious? How many decisions he has made that people automatically say, oh, that was a wise choice. 
He has an entire country looking at him. If there's any, anybody out there with good reason to be prideful, it's David. Even more so, arguably, than other kings. So how is it that David does, is not proud and his eyes are not haughty and, and, and he doesn't concern himself with great matters? What kind of matters are we talking about that the king does not concern himself with? What matters are too high for him? Well, I think the secret comes from David's background, David's history. You see, David grew up a shepherd boy. And we know this, we've learned this in Sunday school. Of course, David was a shepherd, and, and, and we hear Jesus talking about being the good shepherd, and it, it's kind of the shepherd flavor. We hear about shepherds in, in the, the Christmas story when Jesus was born. But the interesting thing about being a shepherd is what it, it wasn't very popular back then. In fact, it wasn't even very popular in David's age, let alone the New Testament time period. It was not a popular thing. And if you think about it, you have to concern yourself with some of the dumbest creatures on the planet, and you have one job. You have one job. Help them not kill themselves. Let's, let's just keep them safe. Can we, just, can we just not let them run off cliffs? And you laugh, but sheep do that. They literally run off cliffs. That was his job. Defend, defend them against all things that could harm them, both living and non. Defend them against themselves. Give them water. Give them food. That's what he did. And this is one of those moments where uh, this is one of those things that, that the nation actually, as the nation aged, it became less and less proud of its shepherd heritage. Did you know that? And by the time Jesus is on the scene, to be a shepherd was downright disgraceful. It was worse than, than, um, than any other, you know, profession. And in Jesus' time, you were not even a legal witness. You couldn't even go into a court of law as a shepherd and say, yes, I witnessed something. They wouldn't believe you. you were, it wasn't like you were a second-class citizen. You weren't even a citizen. You were the, the people that they hide out back that no one wants to talk about. And here's the greatest king that Israel has ever seen, and he's a shepherd. And he never forgot it. He never forgot where he came from. And it got to the point that when David was anointed king, there was this other king named Saul that was also anointed. We had these two kings that are anointed, and you're like, everybody's going, okay, who's going to be king? Who's going to be king? And David basically spends many years of his life fleeing from Saul, who's trying to kill him. And many opportunities David had to kill Saul and to take what was his. His, his men are begging him, would you please just end this? We're, we're living like, like hunted animals. And he would say, no, Yahweh put him there. And I'm going to let Yahweh do his thing, and I'm going to step back. Because I know where I came from, and I know what God has done for me. That was David. See, David knew who was running the kingdom. David knew who sat on the throne. And David knew who his boss was. And David knew this person to be Yahweh. And that's the way David saw this. So David could write these words, I am not proud. My eyes are not haughty and I don't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Because I'm just a shepherd. That's where I came from and that's what God has done in me. That's just verse 1. <laughs> just verse 1. Verse 2. David goes on to say, I've stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. 
This is such an interesting picture that David draws. And I have like real world experience just last week <laughs> with a newborn or, or, or an infant. And I'm here to tell you the image that David is drawing, have you ever seen or held a small child that is content? And the reason that's so powerful is because we've all seen or held children that are not content, right? It's the contrast. And I can, get, I can remember getting up just last week, getting up in the middle of the night multiple times to the sounds of a screaming child. He's coming undone. His world is falling apart. He's letting the world know about it. And you put a bottle in his mouth and he begins to drink. And all of a sudden, the worries of the world melt away. To the point that he gorges himself so much that he's just asleep. And maybe I'm asleep too. The quietness. This is the picture David draws. The contrast. And I think to myself, I want that. I want to be like that. I want to be the content infant that's resting in his mother's arms that doesn't need anything. The innocence, the acceptance. How do I get that? Now, there's two different ways you can look at the word weaned here. There's a literal translation, which is it's, the child is aged enough not to need mother for milk anymore. And so now mother begins to be this other definition other than food. <laughs> mother stops smelling like food. Mother starts looking like food. Now mother is something different. And, and there's this satisfaction that comes with that. And I, and I think that analogy teaches us something. There's another way that this word is actually translated in Hebrew. And it's like a non-literal meaning. It's a, it's, a, it's a contentment of the child. It doesn't matter the age of it. The child is just content. And that's the one I like to think about because I just had a little baby in my arms. And I know what it looks like when he's full. He's got a dry diaper and a full belly and there's not a problem in the world. Either way, the child is in a state of innocent acceptance. And that's what David is. It reminds me, it reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew. I'll put them up on the screen. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. I'm not going to put them up. Dwayne is going to put them up on the screen. Thank you, Dwayne. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and burdened. Yes, that's me. I, that's me. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. <laughs> and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, this is the understanding David had of Yahweh. When you go to Yahweh and you trust him, it's easy. Sure, there's difficult things you have to do and, and you have to work hard and all these things happen. But, but, but he's in control of it all. And Jesus is just relaying the same message saying, hey, come to me. Come to me. Trust me. I'll give you rest for your souls. That's powerful. That's verse 2. Verse 3 of this psalm. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. David has this experience and, and he is this way because of who he is and where he's come from and what God has done for him. And he can turn to his nation and he can say, oh, Israel. And just the way those words come out, oh, Israel, you can, you can hear the love David has for his country and his nation and his flock, if you will. And he says, mm, you need to taste 
and see who Yahweh is because he is worth putting your hope in. Don't put your hope in me. Don't put your hope in the army. Don't put your hope even in the, in the land that we possess. Put your hope in him. Both now and forevermore. That's good. That's really good. So, how do I sum this up? I want you guys to leave with this, this feeling of contentment. And I think this is an important phrase. So, so remember this phrase. Humility is essential to contentment. Because David wasn't proud, he is able to see what Yahweh has done for him, and he's able to be satisfied. Because he's humble. This is something Augustine, St. Augustine said, where your pleasure is, there is your treasure. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. And where your heart is, there is your happiness. And I have no doubt Augustine had in mind David. And Jesus' yoke that is easy to bear. And that is the path of happiness and contentment. Not working ourselves to the bone for, for some reason, for, for our, our standards that society puts on us, or, or our boss, or us. Maybe you've got some vendetta and you want to prove to the world around you that you're worth it, that you're valuable. And Yahweh's standing there going, I'm the reason you're valuable. I'm the, I gave you your value. Why is this so important? The reason this is such a big deal, and the reason, wh reason why this could change us as a church and, our, and, and, and us as a people, is because if we're sold out to self, we're driven, we're working hard, we, we got to be better, we got to make more, we have to have our family living in an environment that's a little bit more comfortable, right? Even for the family's sake, I'm working for the family. If you're sold out to self, your image is going to be the most important thing to you. Your reputation comes first, how you raise your family, how you parent your kids. You ever had the fear of the supermarket meltdown? I have that fear. My kids are old still, and I still have the fear. My gosh, what are people going to think if my kid loses it? Yeah, it's a struggle. You'll work yourself to death. Your image will never be good enough. It'll never be clean enough, never shiny enough. Your reputation will never be polished enough. And, and you'll start to push people away for fear that they're going to see you for who you really are. That's what happens if you don't really understand that humility is essential to contentment. And that God made you the person you are and gave you your value. When you're sold out to his kingdom. When you're sold out to what God has next for you, you can say the words, I'm not proud and I'm not haughty. You can be satisfied. You might still wrestle with your self-image. We're all sinners. We all make mistakes. You might still care about your reputation. But you're going to be on a path. And that path, if you follow it, leads to contentment. And, and, and the, the self-image struggle is just a distraction from your goal. So what do we need to do? 
Well, I think the first thing is, is David remembered who, where he came from. So the first thing is, is remember your roots. You know, we're all adopted. There's not one person in this room that deserves to be here more than the other. The truth about sin is that we all have it, and it, and it all makes us not worthy. So you can, you can conjure up like, well, you know, my, my family history, I've got, I've got three pastors each generation going back 12 generations. Yeah. Pretty cool, huh? No, keep going back. Keep going back. If we all trace our lineage back far enough, we all come from just a gardener who stole the fruit and got kicked out of the garden and got fired, right? That's where we come from. That's where it came from. The point I'm trying to make is that we're all sinners. None of us deserve this. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 60 years. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 60 minutes or 60 seconds. We've all been adopted. And if we remember that, if we remember that no matter what situation you find yourself in, the thing that you actually deserve is death, but the thing that you've been given is grace and forgiveness, it changes you. And this is exactly how David, this mighty king, with all at his disposal, could say, I'm not proud because I came, I'm a shepherd boy. I just knew sheep. That's all I knew, and, and, and God took me and brought me, and, and God adopted me and brought me into his family and gave me these things. It's not because of me. He remembered his roots. So don't forget. Don't forget where you come from. The second thing is speak the truth. And this is so important for me, personally. Speaking the truth starts with speaking the truth to yourself, and this is, what I, this is where I go really wrong quickly. My wife will tell you I mutter. I'm a mutterer. So I'm cleaning the house or I'm doing something, and there'll be times where my wife doesn't know that I'm not talking to her, and she's like, what, what are you saying? And I'm like, oh, you were listening to that? I can get really negative, and I can tell my things that, myself things that aren't true. I can come up with insults that are so mean and cruel. I can tell myself I'm not valuable, I'm not worthy. And the sad thing is, is I believe it. And it's this nasty spiral, and the more I tell myself things that aren't true, the more I believe them, and the more I tell myself, and the less value I think I have, until I'm living like this lie, and I'm like, oh man, what if, what if people at church really know who I am? That, this is going to be horrible. I'm, I'm so utterly without value, and it's because I've told myself this lie after lie after lie after lie. You have to speak truth to yourself with that will allow you to speak truth to those around you. So it's like this two-step process. You have to tell yourself what God has done for you. You have to tell yourself how God views you and the love he has for you, the value that he's placed on you. And if you start there, then you can start telling yourself this. And, and guess what? Self, self's going to believe it. The best part is when I tell myself a joke that I don't get, Right? I got to explain it to myself? No, never mind. It gets crazy in here. That wasn't in there. <laughs> Tell yourself the truth. Speak the truth to yourself. And if you're a mutterer, mutter a little louder the truth so your wife can hear it. That'd be great. <laughs> the third thing, be thankful. Be thankful in all things. My kids aren't in here, so I can tell them this. I can tell you guys this story. 
So my kids can get really overwhelmed or get down or get frustrated and they get scared. And, and me and my son specifically, I played with Angie when she was younger, we played the daddy game. And the daddy game is, is when they're upset or when they're scared or when they're so focused on a problem that they can't break out of it, we play the daddy game. Okay, what's the daddy game? Okay, the daddy game is daddy usually has to go first, but I say one thing that I'm thankful for. And then they have to go. And I just did this three nights ago with my son. He's upstairs in his bed. He's upset. And I go, Zach, let's play the daddy game. Okay, you go first. Okay. I'm thankful for my family. Okay. Zach goes, I'm thankful for Disney World. <laughs> like, okay. All right, we'll get there. We keep going. It, it usually takes three or four thankfulness things, and the smile is ear to ear, and he's happy, and he's bouncing off the walls, and then he won't go to sleep, which is another problem altogether. But I'd rather have that problem than the first. Be thankful. David knew where he came from, and he knew every step what God had done for him, and he could look back, and he could say, yes, God did that for me. God brought me to this point, and I'm thankful for those things. It's almost impossible to have a bad attitude when you can list out the things you're thankful for. Sometimes it's hard to come up with things you're thankful for. Just come up with one or two. Play the daddy game. This is what Paul said in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, here it is, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that David talks about, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You catch that? Paul is actually asking you to ask for things while you're thankful. Lord, I'm thankful for what you've done for me. And I need, and I want, and I need you to show me. Ask while you're thankful. So you might want to wonder, why is remembering your roots and speaking truth and being thankful, why are those things so important? The reason is, is we forget. If we forget where we came from, we start to think we're something we're not. We start to think with our own innate ability, we have some sort of value. And we kind of rise up above everybody else. And we become important. We become self-righteous. Our eyes become haughty. We become prideful. We forget. We forget who we are. And if you start down that path, oh, it's such a slippery slope. You start sizing people up. Everybody you know, your spouse and family included, you start sizing them up. Oh, I wouldn't have done that. Oh, she, blah, blah, blah. And, and on it goes. If you don't speak the truth to yourself, you, like me, can get to a point where you believe horrible things about yourself. And the enemy's in your ear whispering to you, you are no good. If the church found out, see, my wife already found out. She already knows, so I can't go there. If the church found out, you have these thoughts. That's the lie. And I tell myself that. So, so if you go down that path to dig yourself out of that pit, oh, my gosh, it's impossible. And be thankful in all things. If we're thankful, we get to remember the things that God has done for us. And those things you can forget. This is why God asked Joshua to build an Ebenezer when they crossed the, the Red Sea. So, so when his kids would ask him, hey, what is that? You can tell them the story. Build these Ebenezers in your mind. Remember what God has done for you and be thankful. Because if we remember our roots and we speak truth and we are thankful, we get to see God doing his work in front of us. 
And we get to remember the things that he's done in our past. You see, humility is essential to contentment. Remember your roots, speak the truth, and be thankful in all things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, even if we spent every minute for the rest of our lives, we still could not come up with all the things that you've done for us. And the Lord, the reason for that is because you've done things for us that we can't even understand. That's how giving and generous and loving you are. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for dying on the cross for us so that we could remember, so that we could know you, so that we could be adopted into your family and understand our real value because of that. God, I ask as we leave on this beautiful Mother's Day that you would help us remember where we've come from and what you've done for us. You would help us remember in those dark moments when we're talking to ourselves about who we think we are that we would speak truth. And God, that we would be able to build Ebenezer's in our minds, that we would remember the things that you've done for us and we would be thankful. God, thank you for all that you've done for us. And give us eyes to see these things. And help us tell each other the things that you've done. I want to be a church that remembers. In your name.